We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thursday afternoon edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast presented as always by WinBet, winbet.com. It is Thursday, March 3rd. Nick Whalen back with Alex Marutha for the second time in three days, Alex. And we, we had a bunch of news to get through earlier this week. Uh, we went deep on Jabba Rand, who had, at the time was coming off of that 52-point effort. Uh, not, not a ton going on in the last 48 hours, so we, we want to use this opportunity to kind of do a jump around podcast and spend one to two minutes, uh, sometimes more, sometimes less on every team in the Eastern conference. And hopefully next week we, we can find some time to hit the West. Eventually we will hit the West. Um, but we, we want to start with the East and there's not a lot of parameters here. I, I think I framed it to you as, you know, whatever comes to mind when you think of this team right now. So if it's, if it's a contending team, you know, we could, we could talk about, Know, what the prospects look like over these next 20 games as the regular season comes to an end. If it's a non-contending team at the bottom of the standings, um, you know, maybe, maybe we're going to go deep on what Marvin Bagley means to the future of the Detroit Pistons. I'm not sure, uh, but let's go, let's go in order of the standings and we will go from bottom to top, oh. which means we will be starting with the Orlando magic who are currently 15 and 48. I, I will say but before we start the unofficial timer here, it feels like the Magic have been better than 15 and 48. Like this is a objectively disastrous season when you look at the record, but it it doesn't really feel like they're on you know they're on pace for like one of the worst years in franchise history. Like there's there's been a reasonable amount of optimism here. Yeah, they don't have any like bad I guess bad storylines at all. Like it's all positive stuff individually from players right you like cole anthony's looked great markel fultz has come back and has looked good so far franz wagner the the wendell cover jr contract has looked good um it's just like a, po- a lot of positive individual stuff it's just not translating to wins yeah i think that's a great way to frame it you know almost everyone on the roster has 
met or in many cases exceeded expectations. You know, Cole Anthony's come back down to earth over the last month and a half, but he showed enough in December and January that you already feel great about where he looks now compared to last year. You mentioned Fultz. He's only played in two games, but he's, he's been really, really good in each of those two games. He had 11 points, three rebounds, two assists, a steal and a block against Indiana last night. Um, what is he from the field? He's like 10 of 13 from the field so far has not taken a three, which, you know, it is Markel Fultz. So that's that, but he's looked great. I, I think the one exception is, you know, Jalen Suggs has not looked like in otherworldly potential, you know, future superstar talent. It hasn't been a complete bust situation, but that's also been mitigated by Franz Wagner looking way better than anyone expected. Yeah, I guess there's only so many games we can expect them to win when their two lead guards are shooting like 39 and 36% from the field. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I Wagner's been great. Looks like he's going to be a good role player for like a really long time. The Suggs thing, there have been some positives, I think, with his game, like the the amount that he gets to the free throw line and, and stuff like that. But um, a little disappointing. But again, it's, it's, you know, he's 20 years old playing on a team with like just uh, not that much talent around him. So I think, and he's competing for touches with, again, Cole Anthony and, and other guys. Right. And I, I don't think it's been as bad as the shooting percentage implies. Like he's done a lot of other really good things. Like the assist numbers have been way better, uh, you know, kind of in the last month and a half or so. Um, you know, the shooting percentage is still hovering between 35 and 40, uh, which is not ideal. But I, I think part of the reason that it feels like he's been disappointing is just the expectations, at least for me personally, were, were really high for him. Like I, I thought he had a chance to be rookie of the year. I thought Toronto made like a critical mistake not taking Jalen Suggs and instead taking Scotty Barnes. Uh, in fact, that looks, looks like it's going to be the correct pick. And I, I have a feeling we'll touch on Scotty Barnes when we get to the Raptors. But uh we're already going over on our first uh, first team that we're hitting on, not surprisingly. Uh, but this moves us up to the Detroit Pistons, who are a half game ahead of the Magic in the standings heading into Thursday night. They are 15 and 47. What comes to mind when you're thinking about the Detroit Pistons in the spring of 2022? Uh, I only am thinking about Cade Cunningham. No one else on this roster excites me even a little bit. Um, you know, like Cade's looked okay. But he's been re- like he's been really inconsistent, um, which is not crazy for a twenty-year-old rookie point guard. Um, so, you know, I think they have something good. I just think the the sole focus and the the only thing that's interesting about them is how Cape Cunningham continues to play. Yes, and that's the position that you put yourself in when you basically gut the roster and you get the number one pick, right? I mean, pretty much every team that's been in that situation, save for a few very notable examples. Over the years, like if you're if you're picking number one and there's a guy who you believe could be a generational prospect there, more often than not, you're not going to hit the ground running, and all of a sudden, you know, you have three or four other pieces and you're you know you're a playoff contender right away. Like usually, it's that guy for year one. Hopefully, you're able to add a piece or two in years two and three, and and then you build from there. So, I think you're spot on. I mean, how many guys on this roster right now do you think will definitively be on the Pistons roster in even? you know, a year and a half from now, you know, like next trade deadline or, or the deadline after that, it's like I, maybe Isaiah Stewart. And, and even it feels like his stock has fallen compared to this time last year. Yeah. Stewart, they haven't really prioritized Stewart and I thought, you know, Sadiq Bay is interesting, but it, would I be surprised if the, they ended up letting him go or it just didn't work out? No, you know, Marvin Bagley's played like four games. I don't really know what they're going to do with that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, 
I guess they'd still have Killian Hayes on the roster, but um, yeah, there's there's no one else on the team that um, that I think matters other than Cade, honestly. Sadiq Bay, real quickly, is a very interesting player to try to evaluate because very few guys who are drafted in the mid to late first round, you know, come in and are essentially told like, do whatever you want, like sh- shoot as many times as you want. You could, if you want to take seven and a half threes a game, you want to take fifteen shots, go for it. You know, we have really nothing else outside of Kate Cunningham stopping you from doing that. So like, it, it feels like he's progressing well. He's averaging 16 points, six rebounds, three assists. Uh, the percentages are down this year. He's under 40% from the field, but he does take a ton of threes. Over half of his attempts are coming from three. So that's a big reason why. But it's he's one of those guys that I think we're not going to get a great feel for until the Pistons are a more competent team. Like It's hard to tell if he's just a good stats, bad team guy, or he could eventually be you know like a number three scoring option on a really good team. Right. I mean, he was really bad to start the year. Like if you basically cut out his first half of the year, he's like a 42% shooter, 37% from three. The numbers are up a little bit, like 19 points per game over the past 36 games. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be more than, than Kate is averaging. Uh, Probably, so yeah, yeah I mean, he's, he's interesting, but I, to, I don't know the main thing for like, anytime I'm, I'm looking at like the, the Pistons box scores, it's like, it's still a lot of games where, like Cade is not averaging his 16, five and five because that's what he's putting up every night. It's he's averaging 16, five and five because he'll pop off for like 34 and 10 and then he'll score like six points and have three assists the next game. He's he has he has five games, or I think six games where his game score is over 20, which is like very good and four games where he's been a negative game score. So it's just a lot of huge fluctuations for him. All right, the Indiana Pacers, 22 and 42 is a pretty big gap between uh, 13 and then you know Detroit and Orlando at 14 and 15, uh, about a six-game difference. Indiana, like I said, 22 and 42, 20 games under 500. Uh, objectively, not a super successful season. This is going to be, I would imagine, by, by virtue of where this team is drafting every year for the last 30 years, like this is, this is as close to bottoming out as the Indiana Pacers ever want to get. And, and yet it feels like they're moving in the right direction. You know, you've had some, some damaging injuries this season that, you know, I, I think they got off to a rough start and then Brogdon's hurt, Turner's hurt, Sabonis in and out. Uh, and then obviously you flip Sabonis and, and Turner's missed enough time now that, um, you know, I, I think they're firmly shifting into a, a rebuild on the fly. But, you know, as we talked about after the deadline, I, I think it, it feels like they're moving in the right direction. You know, you, in one way, in some ways you swapped out one good player for another. And it's not like Halliburton is this massive upgrade over Sabonis, but it felt like something had to change there. And for better or for worse, they at least made a move that that splits up the Turner Sabonis front court, which, you know, there's, there's been other situations like this, you know, McCollum Lillard, where it feels like teams let something like this go on one, two, three years too long. And it's kind of shocking to see Indiana, you know, deal its best player in the middle of the year, but also kind of refreshing to, to see a team try to get out in front of, a situation or a pairing that just doesn't seem like it's going to lead to a title. Yeah. And never would I have assumed that they would get like the young prospect that Tyrese Halliburton is in return for that. Yeah. Like I, I assume that they would get young stuff back and picks and whatnot. Never would I have thought they've gotten Halliburton. Um, and he's been excellent for them, basically averaging 20 and 10, two steals, efficient shooting, like exactly what we kind of hoped or thought he could be separated from, Darren Fox and kind of the whole King situation. And so for me, like the most interesting part of this team just is Tyrese Halliburton. And 
uh, how good he can become as like the lead point guard. And I know Brogdon's back and, and stuff like that. But I think I'm almost more interested in like how well Tyrese Halliburton finishes the year and then what they do in the offseason. Do they move Turner? Do they move Brogdon? Do they try to stay good? Do they go into a full rebuild? I think it's all about Halliburton's upside. You know, I mean, Brogdon, really good player when healthy, but he's going to miss 20 games a year and he's not that young. Um, you know, Buddy Heald, really nice complimentary player. Miles Turner, really nice complimentary player, but none of those guys are going to necessarily dictate the overall direction of a franchise. And I, I think with Halliburton, it's like, I, I want to know how close to a James Harden 2.0 situation could this be? You know, I, chances are he's not going to win an MVP. He's not going to be a, a top five player in the league for a full decade like Harden was once he left OKC. But it, this kind of has a similar feel where, you know, a guy's in a, a weird situation. He's kind of the, you know, kind of the, the secondary option behind a player that he might be better than. And then he goes somewhere else and, and has a chance to flourish. And again, I don't think Halliburton's going to reach Harden levels, but I, I can't wait to see what he does next year, you know, with, with kind of a full off season and everything being tailored toward him uh, heading into 22-23. Yeah, I mean, I think there's an argument that Tyrese Halliburton is – maybe as good as DeMontis Sabonis right now, given the situation, uh, like their, their respective situation. So I don't, the swap never made sense to me, uh, but I'm excited for Indiana. Okay. The New York Knicks, maybe we can make up some time here. Uh, the <laughs> Knicks are 25 and 37. This is a just, I mean, again, like the Lakers have saved a lot of teams from like negative headlines this season because they're just happy to suck them all up. But man, this has just been the weirdest Nick season of all time. Like RJ Barrett continues to go scorched earth. Like he's playing extremely well. Yeah. Julius Randle's numbers look okay, but the efficiency is way down. He's been unhappy all year. Uh, you know, Nerlens Noel is back to being questionable for 82 straight games. Um, it, it just feels like all the momentum that the Knicks built up, they finally had this kind of fan favorite team where everybody was playing well and everybody knew their roles. It all came crashing down just remarkably quickly this year. They have, uh, Three wins since January 17th. We won three games. Um, okay. Yeah, this is like the, the Thibodeau thing, right? Thibodeau comes in. Thibodeau is like a consultant at this point. He comes in. You give him a year. He just like fixes the problems, but then he should leave. Like it's, I, I don't know. I think maybe guys get sick of listening to him or uh, turns out guys' legs are tired when you play them 40 minutes a game for an entire year and then try to do it again the next year guys just gas out i don't know and also this team just isn't that good like the talent level of this team isn't that good was never that good even last year um so i i don't know this team is just they're they're interesting because they're the knicks but i i just don't care about them at all honestly julius randall played too well last year yeah he, he set like an unsustainable expectation for himself by having the year that he had. I mean, there were people that that voted Julius Randle top five in MVP last year. I mean, he he won most approved player. Top five in the MVP. I mean, that is that is like laughable in retrospect. But at the time, it wasn't that crazy. Like, that's how good he was last year. And, and yeah, it, it does feel like the Knicks had like 15 guys who overachieved last season. And it's not even like everybody's playing horrendously. It's just like they're all returning to more or less the players that they, that they actually are. Uh, but that's enough on the Knicks. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more. All that is at your fingertips with the WinBet app. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, 
double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or even try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in nine states. Those nine states are Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia, and it's rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. Register for WinBet today, make a qualifying deposit, and wager to receive $200 in free bets. Promotion may vary by state. Download WinBet now. That's WinBet, W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for Rotowire's Fantasy Podcast. Thrive Fantasy is back for another season of fantasy basketball, and they're running guaranteed contests every single day this NBA season. With Thrive Fantasy, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus only on the top-tier players who have the biggest impact on the game. Sign up today, and you'll get a free six-month Rotowire subscription. Here's how you claim that free Rotowire subscription. Step one, visit rotowire.com slash thrive. That's T-H-R-I-V-E, thrive. Step two, deposit a minimum of $10, and you'll receive a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. Step three, play in your first paid contest, and you will then receive that free six-month Rotowire subscription. Infinite value with that subscription. You'll get full access to everything on rotowire.com, all sports, all of our optimizers, everything you need to become the best fantasy player and sports better that you can be. Check out thrivefantasy.com to learn more. Thrive Fantasy, an official partner of Rotowire. The Washington Wizards, 28 and 33. It feels like they want to back their way as low in the standings as possible. Um, you know, after shutting down Bradley Beal, trading for Porzingis, uh, Porzingis still without a timetable. But they are only one game out of the second playoff spot behind Atlanta. They're one and a half behind Charlotte for ninth, uh, only three games behind Brooklyn for eighth. So kind of right in that middle zone where if they, you know, if, if Corey Kispert gets hot for a couple weeks, all of a sudden the Wizards could have a kind of a weird decision to make here. Um, and they can't really get low enough where they would feel good about their odds to get a top three pick. Right. For the Wizards, like I just, I want to see Porzingis in this role as the number one option. Like he was in New York for, for I guess that last year or so, maybe, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not like starting to, you know, you have Bradley Beal, he's out for the year. And in theory, you're like, well, if Bradley Beal will sign the Supermax, we'll give it to him. And at that point, obviously you cannot tank. And so it's like, okay, we'll get Porzingis. Cause he's the best, you know, uh, thing that uh, the, the best attainable thing, like we're not going to sign anybody in free agency probably. So let's, go out and get Porzingis for virtually nothing. I think that was the right move to do. So um, I'm curious to see how Porzingis looks if he actually ends up playing. And then if they do decide like, hey, we have Beal, Porzingis, Kuzma, maybe this is a little something. Um, But I, again, like what's the upside with that really? Not super high, especially if Brad Beal plays like the Brad Beal that we saw when he was healthy this season, which was a shell of the guy that he's been the last few years. I mean, still a very good player, but not in that discussion of guys who can single-handedly, you know, carry you to a top five seed in your conference. And I think we both love Porzingis. Like I would love to just switch injuries off in the NBA and have and see what Porzingis would have become. But it, it's just to that point, you know, his size, the injuries that he's had, it, you know, Dallas, I think tried it. And I, I, I don't know that we're going to see another contending team, like a team that wants to win the finals in the way that Dallas does, I don't think we're going to see another team take a chance on Porzingis. 
Not unless it got into a situation where he was like an expiring contract or he signed for a small amount of money. Cause you yeah, can't, I mean, he can I enter like the Blake Griffin zone. Yeah, exactly. Like you can't commit to him being your second option at all. Maybe no. your third option. Uh, but there's no, and there's no chance he'd be happy as like, he probably wouldn't be happy as a third option. No chance he'd be happy as a fourth option. So yeah, it, it'd be a very specific situation. I think what we're saying is it's all lining up for the Sacramento Kings to get them a super max in a couple of years. Absolutely. Yeah. The Sabonis, Porzingis, <laughs> Fox, West coast. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's going to happen. Pencil it in. Um, all right. Atlanta Hawks 10th in the Eastern conference, 29 and 32. Is it fair to say that non Lakers division, the Hawks are the biggest underachiever of the entire season so far. Could be. They're playing they're actually playing a little better lately. Uh, kind of turned a corner since mid January. Uh, they were on a, a pretty bad slump before that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm still, I've been like cautiously optimistic about the Hawks this whole year, just because I do think, like, I like their, you know, I like their structure in terms of I think Trey Young's a good player, um, a John Collins guy, DeAndre Hunter has hasn't played that well, but I still believe in him, like the Bogdanovich thing. Like, I like who they have and kind of what they're doing, but it's just their defense this season, it just completely fell off a cliff. And um, they're just, uh, they that's kind of their weak spot right now. And I don't know what about that necessarily changes. Yeah, I, I thought it was funny. I forget what podcast it was on. I want to say it was Mark Spears mentioned this, that there was some quote where like somebody on the Hawks was like, Oh yeah, they're, they're just bored. You know, since, since they went to the East finals last year, like right. they're just kind of loafing their way through the regular season. I'm like, what are we talking about here? Like this, this team feels like it can, it can just like let its foot off the gas and cruise its way to the playoffs and then flip the switch. Like there are very few teams in NBA history that have ever been able to pull that off. And I, I gotta say, I don't think the current 10 seed Atlanta Hawks are one of them. No, that's like the uh, golden, the dynasty, Golden State Warriors, the big three Heat. Uh, yep. Those are the kinds of teams that, like, you have to be that level to coast. Even the Bucks, I think the Bucks are probably coasting a little bit, right? And, well, and they... all those teams either won a title or were on like their fifth <laughs> right. consecutive deep playoff run, and it's almost like beneficial yeah. to not try in the regular season. Right? Yeah, Trey Young is already over it. He's <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm thirty and ten in the playoffs. Yeah. Like, what, you know. Uh, Lou Williams, why don't you take some possessions? Yeah, the Hawks are having trouble motivating Danilo Gallinari to play his <laughs> artist every night. Uh, all right, the nine seed Charlotte Hornets, 31 and 33, uh, a team that's been hovering in this zone for a long time now. You know, got off to a really hot start, looked at first like maybe they would be uh, kind of the Eastern Conference version of the, Mem- of the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, turned out that would in fact be the Cavs. Uh, this team was 26 and 20 in mid-January and went through a really rough stretch. I think they lost eight of nine heading into the all-star break. Uh, they've somewhat righted the ship since then. But like, if you look at just their game logs or, um, you know, basketball reference has that game results tracker. That's basically a bar graph of wins and losses. And like, it feels like they're either getting blown out or they're blowing a team out every single night. Like they're not playing a lot of close games. No, it's cause they're, they're def- their defense is very bad. And, really? um, They've, you know, they've struggled since they've lost Gordon Hayward. Um, I, the, the main thing I'm interested uh, in for the Hornets, and I, I've said this before, is just LaMelo Ball in the playoffs. You know, I would love for them to get, uh, you know, the seventh or the eighth seed. And I think, I mean, you know, I, I think Cleveland's probably out of, Cleveland might be out of getting like the two seed, but 
it there is a scenario where I think it could end up being in the first round, like Cleveland versus Charlotte in the first round of the playoffs, which I think would be insane. Um, but I just, again, I just, I just want to see LaMelo in the playoffs, see how he does. I think it's already, it's almost already set in stone that he's just like a very good regular season player and he can get his 20 point triple doubles and flashy passes and all that. But I want to see like with increased attention in the playoffs, how he handles it. It's looking pretty likely that Toronto, Brooklyn, Charlotte, Atlanta will be our play-in teams, assuming Washington drops out. And, you know, Boston has played markedly better than all four of those teams and looks like it's on the rise. So, I mean, nothing set in stone. Obviously, Brooklyn getting Durant back tonight. Uh, they, they could play their way out of that spot. But I think that's a really fun quartet of teams. And, I, I, I mean, the way it breaks down now would be Brooklyn versus Charlotte. I, I think the Nets would be okay with that matchup just because of the defensive flaws with the Hornets. But if they were to get Gordon Hayward back for that series – I mean, that, that's not a guarantee, especially when you're talking about a one game, uh, you know, a one game shot for Brooklyn. Right. And yeah, Brooklyn's Brooklyn's roster is kind of up in the air at this point. So I'm not sure exactly what we're getting out of them, but that it would it would be fun for sure. The playing is a lot of fun still. I'm, I'm excited that they kept it and I'm excited that it's, yeah. it's still a thing. Yeah, I, I don't love that my hometown L.A. Lakers are going <laughs> to wind up there, but, you know, it is what it is. Okay, it is time to make our daily picks on Monkey Knife Fight, the easiest DFS site out there. Uh, On any given night, you could win 20x, 100x, even 500x your buy-in amounts, depending on the contest you choose. Just go to monkeyknifefight.com to sign up and claim your 100% instant deposit match up to $100. And if you use our promo code RWNBA, that's all caps, five letters, RWNBA, You'll get a free $10 NBA ticket. You can use that to win cash tonight on our seven-game Thursday night NBA slate. Tons of contests to choose from, as always, at Monkey Knife Fight. Tonight, we're going to go We're gonna go with a trusty three-by-three contest. So we're talking 5x your buy-in if you go three-for-three. Three. And in weeks past or days past, we've talked you know, over-unders on points, rebounds, assists. We're going straight fantasy points this time. So more or less on a certain fantasy point number. And just as a refresher uh, for the scoring, one point uh, per point, one and a half points per assist, 1.2 points per rebound, three points per steal, three points per block, and minus one point per turnover. So we begin with Luka Doncic, 52 and a half fantasy points for Luka Doncic. That's the more or less. He goes up against the Golden State Warriors tonight. Very friendly number, in my opinion, for a guy who has 70 plus fantasy point upside on any given night you look at the last couple of games maybe that factors into this number only seven total assists uh in games against the lakers and the warriors both victories for the mavericks that feels pretty fluky to me i think that assist number is going to come up which is huge when you're talking 1.5 fantasy points per assist in mkf scoring not necessarily an ideal matchup for luca against golden state but this also is not the same golden state team that we saw over the first half of the season a much different outfit Without Draymond Green, they're playing some of their worst basketball of the season right now. So actually, I think this is a pretty good spot for Luka Doncic, who did just put up 34-11-2-2-1 on the Warriors uh, less than a week ago. I think this is a good spot for him to go more on 52.5 fantasy points. We now move to LeBron James and the uh, capsizing Los Angeles Lakers. 52.5, also the number for LeBron. The Lakers are are technically at the Clippers tonight. Uh, Of course, that will be played at Crypto.com Arena. I'm going to go two for two here and go over with LeBron. I I think we may be very close to 
LeBron shutting this thing down. You know, maybe the groin starts acting up. Maybe the knee's a little more sore uh, than he's letting on. Uh, but for now, I, I think he's going to just kind of keep doing what he's doing and, and try to keep the Lakers afloat in one of those play-in spots. Um, you know, he, he struggled a little bit against the Clippers in his first game after the break, 21 points, 11 rebounds, three assists. But if you look at the game logs, that was pretty easily his worst game since mid-December, possibly even further back. Uh, he's just been wildly consistent whenever he's on the court over the last few months. So, you know, they, they don't have a lot of other options in L.A. with Anthony Davis hurt. I'm going to go more on 52 and a half on LeBron James. And to go three for three, we finish out. I'm going more again. DeJounte Murray, 48 and a half is the number against Sacramento. He's coming in hot, got kicked out of Monday's game against Memphis, still finished with 21 points, eight assists, three rebounds, three steals, and a block. I mean, the thing with Murray is he doesn't even have to get to 20 points, and you'd still feel pretty good about going more uh, on a high number like this. Again, 48 and a half. It's a great matchup against Sacramento. Uh, kind of a, an interesting one-on-one -on -one matchup against a similar player in De'Aaron Fox. But, man, DeJounte Murray has, has absolutely entered that elite tier as a fantasy player. I, I think he's still on his way to getting there as a real-life player. Obviously, the Spurs having some more success would help. But, man, I mean, he is a, a tier one fantasy guard at this point. So I, I think we're looking at three pretty fantasy friendly numbers tonight, especially given the matchup. So I'll go more on 48 and a half for Murray, more on 52 and a half for LeBron and more on 52 and a half for Luka Doncic. All right, there it is. Those are our picks for tonight. You're looking at five X your buy-in. If you go three for three on those picks, tell me if you want, go against me. If you want, uh, wouldn't necessarily recommend one over the other. Uh, but should be a lot of fun playing on Monkey Knife Fight tonight, as always. And again, make sure to use our code RWNBA to get that free $10 NBA contest credit. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Don Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. 
trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets, the eight seed in the Eastern Conference, 32 and 31. I think we have to start, of course, with Durant and Ben Simmons. KD coming back tonight uh, against Miami. Interesting game to bring him back for. Not that KD, you know, is, is the type of guy to to dodge an opponent. But, um, you know, playing playing the Heat at home, uh, not exactly a, an easy game to, to kind of ease your way back into action. And at this point, we I think we know for sure Ben Simmons will be uh, just kind of hunkering down and, and waiting it out, you know, nursing that back injury uh, until at least the uh, Sunday, March 13th game against the Knicks. I, I would imagine that's probably when he debuts. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. To me, the most interesting thing about this team is Ben Simmons. So, uh, cause we know who Katie and Kyrie are. We know that even if, yeah, I, I think the interesting part is even if Ben Simmons is like not really that great, they still have a chance to make the conference finals and make the NBA finals just because Durant and Kyrie are that good. And, um, you know, I don't, I mean, their role pieces are very hit or miss, I guess is probably a positive way to say it. Um, but yeah, it's all about Ben Simmons for me. That's, that's really what is interesting. Yeah. And I, I don't want to dive back into that because we, we have talked about Simmons extensively, but I, I will just continue to reiterate not a guarantee that he's going to come back and be super productive. But like you said, it might not matter. If he can just give them average basketball and just be a really good defender, if if Kyrie is playing like he played against the Bucks on Saturday and Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant, I mean, that, that could very well be enough. Yeah, for sure. All right, the Toronto Raptors, the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference, 34 and 27. Uh, speaking of teams that have taken huge losses lately, they, they lost three games uh, three of their last five games by, I think it's at least 27 points. Um, just really weird blowout scenarios coming out of the break. Hot going into the break. Uh, Pascal Siakam has really struggled of late. Fred Van Vliet has a knee issue. Um, and that, that's actually allowed Scotty Barnes to look really good over these last few games. But I, I'm still not really sure where I stand on Toronto. It, it does feel like they're still kind of in that in-between zone. OG Ananobi you know, has a broken finger. Sounds like he's going to try to play through it, but um, the Van Vliet thing, especially that scares me, you know, it, they, they basically said like, yeah, his knee is not feeling great. It's going to be game to game. Um, that, that doesn't exactly, you know, preclude me to, to imagine that this is a team that's going to have a deep playoff run. You play him 38 minutes a game and comes up with knee soreness. Um, who yeah, could have foreseen this? yeah, out of, out of nowhere, out of, out of left field. I, um, this team's kind of interesting because I like their individual pieces, but I just, I, I'm kind of with you where it's like, I, I don't really know where this is going or what the goal is. And I, I guess maybe, you know, cause the age differences are, they have like Van Vliet and Siakam are both in their age 27 seasons. So they're essentially in their prime. 
Anganobi's ap- approaching his prime at 24. Scotty Barnes is 20. It does kind of feel like they, I don't want to say they have an identity crisis because it's weird to say that a team that's like good with upward momentum has an identity crisis, but I also don't, I don't know what they're doing exactly. And I, they're just really hard for me to project as a team and like analyze as a team because I know they're well coached. Um, but I don't like expect them to make noise in the playoffs, really. Yeah, you're 100% right. Although they're in that rare spot for me where like usually it's bad to not have an identity or not feel like you have a defined direction, whether that be competing for a title right away or building for the future. But I think they're in a good spot where they could pivot kind of to either direction. And I, I don't think they could win the title this year, obviously, but. They have the pieces to make themselves a title contender next year. And they also have the flexibility to enter a little bit more of a rebuild and really become, you know, a potential player in this, in like the middle of the decade. Yeah. Maybe the goal is like, Hey, we'll try and make the playoffs. We'll see how it looks in like hyper competitive situations, see what we like, see what we don't like, and then adjust from there, you know, uh, just uh, analyzing the basketball that matters the most. The Boston Celtics 37 and 27, only four and a half games out of the one seed in the Eastern Conference. They have been essentially the hottest team in basketball, for sure the hottest team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I think the Phoenix Suns are the only team that would really have another claim uh, to the hottest team in, in basketball. But, I mean, the Suns or the, the, excuse me, the Celtics were all the way down, you know, in the play-in zone for most of the first half of the season. And, you know, I, I don't, it felt like we just didn't really talk about them. For a long time, it was, you know, Jason Tatum's getting his numbers. Jalen Brown's getting his numbers. They're kind of trading wins for losses. They're hovering around 500. And, you know, around early to mid-January, um, you know, something really clicked with this team. And, and Derek White has been a great addition. Um, I, I, I'm still not exactly sure what the ceiling is. It feels to be like they're a half step below teams like Brooklyn and Miami and Milwaukee and Philly. But I, I think they're going to have a chance to prove over these next 20 games. Like, if they could keep this up, I mean, they're – they're a legitimate contender for the one seed right now. It's unlikely, but it's not out of the realm of possibility whatsoever. They got a lot of a lot of twenty point wins lately, um, just rattling off twenty point wins, yeah. and they have the I think they have the fifth best net rating in the league, uh, excluding garbage time, and they have the second best defense in the NBA. And again, like we talked we talked about on the last podcast. You know, John Morant versus Jason Tatum, that's a really tough question. I mean, Jason Tatum, you know, hasn't even played that well. Um, and I, I don't know, man. I, you know, I still believe in the structure of this team um, as, you know, the, the core of this team. It does feel like they kind of are missing something. But I, on the other hand, I, what are they? I guess they're, you know, in theory, they're missing like a guard or maybe like a really good center, but what more are you really asking for? It's like you have Tatum and yeah. Brown, who are two of the most promising young guys in the league who are already all-star caliber players. Like what more are you going to say that they're really missing? I, I think they're missing like one or two bench pieces, I guess, if you want to pick nits and, you know, maybe maybe they're missing like a bona fide top five guy. You know, it's like if, if you swap out Tatum for Giannis, all of a sudden this roster looks kind of a lot like the Bucks roster. You know, it's, right. it's not like the Bucks are like completely loaded at the top, you know, you have one great, great player and then two very good players and then a lot of good role players. I, I think this team just doesn't have a ton of depth. Um, and, you know, Al Horford, they, they came out and said after the break, yeah, they're going to have to limit his workload. That's not a great sign, uh, especially with this fragile 
as Robert Williams is. And, you know, bringing in Daniel Tice, that's great. Bringing in Derek White, that helps a lot. But it still feels like they're one piece short. Like they needed, they need someone like Aaron Neesmith or, you know, Grant Williams or whoever it is to maybe Romeo Lankford, I think was supposed to be that guy, but like they needed their version of like a Tyler hero emergence, you know, from one of these guys that they took in the first round, all these last few drafts. And, you know, really for none of those guys to pan out, I mean, I I guess Robert Williams, but you know, you got him late in the first round a few years ago and and were able to develop him for a few years. Like that, that one looks like a hit, but you know, all these guys that you took in the middle of the first round after getting Brown and Tatum, the fact that none of those guys, you know, developed into a, even average rotation player is a pretty big hit to their depth. Right. It's just, it's kind of ironic because they drafted their like three core guys. Like they drafted Tatum Brown and smart. And then they just have not been able to kind of like keep that going and complete the cycle of like basically turning to the Spurs. We're like, we're going to draft everybody. Um, Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, they're going to be down to like a, what a seven man rotation in the playoffs probably. So yeah, maybe it doesn't matter as much then. Um, it, it may not, yeah. Okay, that brings us to the five seed Cleveland Cavaliers, 36 and 26, uh, currently ahead uh, of the Boston Celtics by virtue of having one fewer loss, but uh, both teams four and a half games out of the one seed. It, it does feel like Cleveland may have peaked a little too early. Uh, they're still <laughs> a fine team. Uh, they, they did take a, a tough loss to Charlotte uh, just last night. Um, you know, Darius Garland's back injury, uh, a major issue. Karis LeVert's foot injury, uh, also a major issue. But um, this team was the toast of the league, you know, around Christmas when they were 20 and 13. They continued winning uh, even into the new year. At, at one point, they were uh, 30 and 19. And, you know, since then, it's, it's kind of just been 500 or slightly below 500 basketball. Do you think it's fair to say that they, they may have hit their peak a little too early? I think, uh, yeah, I do think they peaked a little early, although... Darius Garland has been dealing with a back injury for like right before the all-star break. So he's missed, I think more than half his games. Like he might've missed like seven of the past 10 or something like that. And he really is the driving force of their team. Like when they're not, when they don't have Garland out there, they're just not a good team. There's they you can't expect for them to win those games. And I think it's understandable for them to be on a bit of a slide. Like Jared Allen and Evan Mobley have been amazing, but, uh, they still need Darius Garland to like feed them the ball for easy looks. And, you know, uh, there's only so much uh, Juggy Osmond at point guard that is going to get it done uh, for the Cavaliers. So I think, I think they'll start playing better again. If Garland's back uh, continues to be fine. Cause he came back uh, very uh, not too long ago. So I wouldn't be surprised if they start climbing up the standings a bit mm-hmm. again with, with the team being healthy. Well, what's interesting is he's missed, what he's missed eight games since the end of January. And, you know, it's kind of been day to day. He missed four in a row, then came back, then missed another, then played two, then missed three and then came back last night. But in the games he's played, I mean, it's been, it's been 27 points, 27 points, 30 points, and then 33 points with five threes last night. And the turnovers have been out of control. He's averaging like six turnovers a game right. uh, in that span, but he's looked like himself. So like there's, there's some hope, I think like if he can get this right, it's not going to be, it's clearly not something that's hampering him. Like, I, I don't know. I've, I've dealt with like minor back issues in the past. And like, it is one of those things where like, it can hurt really bad. And if you, if you sleep the right way the next day, it's just totally fine. Um, so it's encouraging that he doesn't like when active, he seems to be playing really well, but yeah, like you said, I mean, if, if this is a thing 
down the stretch. And, and certainly if this continues into the playoffs, like if Darius Garland is missing three out of seven games in round one of the playoffs, you know, the Cavs, I don't even know if it gets to a seventh game in that scenario. Right. They're 29 and 19 when he plays. They're plus 11 when he's on the court. They just need him. You shouldn't expect them to win any games mm-hmm. when he's out. And we should say, if they lose to Boston or Milwaukee or Philly or whoever it is in round one, still a very successful season for the Cavaliers. Like, this season was was automatically declared a success around Christmas. Like, they once they smashed their their win total, that was like, I don't know, 26 and a half or something. Um, I mean, you, you hit the jackpot on Mobley. The Mobley-Allen pairing is phenomenal. Garland took a huge step forward. Kevin Love, you know, is, is contributing. Like, even if even if things kind of slide towards the end here, it already feels like this has been a massive, massive win for the Cavs. Yeah, and they still have Colin Sexton. Like, who right? I, I who knows what they're going to do with him, but he's at least, like, an asset for them. Yeah, I mean, you're probably going to have to sell low on Sexton if you do want to move him. But um, either way, not, not a bad asset to sell low on. You're still going to get a piece, or you're going to get a semi-valuable pick. Right. The Milwaukee Bucks, 38 and 25, currently three games behind the Miami Heat for the number one seed. That gap was four games until they beat Miami last night. Uh, a nice come from behind win by Milwaukee. Uh, had had a, a bad turnover by Tyler Hero in the final minute that led to a Chris Middleton three. Uh, and then another turnover um, on, on a jump ball scenario that Giannis won and, and Drew Holiday went in for the game winning layup. I. I've been waiting for the Bucks to have that mega run all year. Maybe this, maybe the last night's game um, was the start of it. That I think that there's a case to be made that that was their best win of the season. Um, they, they've taken a lot of weird losses. They, they've had stretches where they've just blown a bunch of bad teams out. Um, and, and as we mentioned at the top, like the Bucks are in that category of teams that could understandably put it on cruise control during the regular season. And the, you know, we saw the like the level that they can get to in the Easter conference finals and, and certainly in those final four games of the NBA finals. So there's, there's really nothing they could do to, to put me fully out on them. Uh, but still, I, I would like to have like a 10 game stretch where they just go scorched earth and remind everybody that they could be the best team in the league. Right. I think, I think this team has just created expectations of like, this is a 60 win team every year. You know, Mike Bugenholzer is a regular season monster and young is, you know, et cetera. I, uh, you know, one thing I'm always thinking about with the bucks is, how little rest they've had over the past two seasons since basically the COVID pandemic started. So they go, they have the bubble, they do the bubble playoffs. Then it's a, then it's a shortened off season and then it's a condensed season. And then they go all the way to the finals. And then it's kind of another short summer. And now they're dealing with this year and they just, they've, they may have the least rest over a two year span of any NBA team ever. And they're missing uh there's and they're still fourth in offense and their defense is what's struggling, right? They're 11th in defense. Uh but they're also missing their backline defender, Brooke Lopez, who is like the anchor of their defense, who people when I th- I guess 2 years ago or 3 years ago, kind of like when he emerged as like the drop coverage guy protecting the rim, people were like talking about him as a fringe defensive player of the year candidate. And now they're missing him, and people are like, "Why are the Bucks struggling?" Um, it's like Bobby Portis is not Brook Lopez, so you have that, and you have a bench that's not looked great at times and has been hurt. And um, to me, none of this is is too surprising. No, and it really shouldn't be. And I, I don't know. I mean, we we do this with every team that's won a title, or really every good team or team that we expect to be really good is you know just kind of over scrutinize every single game. 
Um, but I, I have a feeling that Milwaukee is going to, you know, depending on the matchups, I think kind of kick it up into high gear in the playoffs. And I, I think beating Miami the way they did last year, and then obviously getting all the way to to the finals and winning the finals. This is a team that that I, I think there were some guys who you kind of questioned mentally, did they have that in them? Um, and, and to get over the hump and do that, I, I think there's kind of a, like an unspoken confidence level that this team is just going to have going forward as long as they keep this core together. All right, three more teams. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, currently the three seed in the Eastern Conference, the Red Hot 76ers, who are two games out of first place after another win over the New York Knicks last night. Uh, 15-point margin in that one, 123 to 108. That was their closest victory of the James Harden era so far. They're 3-0 and with Harden. He looks fantastic. Embiid looks fantastic. Tyrese Maxey has settled in perfectly next to Harden. Even Tobias Harris got in on the act last night. Um, I, I think if you're the Sixers or you're a Sixers fan, there, there's no possible way that this could have gone better so far. I agree. Um, I think, you know, the more now we haven't really, obviously we haven't seen them play like a real great defensive team yet. And we, me, you know, you and I have kind of circled that heat game that's coming up as I think what will be the real test for them. Um, but to me again, like I, I, I love this pairing. I think this pairing's insane. Uh, right now, uh, the Harden and Bead minutes, they are plus 42 per 100 possessions, scoring 137 points per 100 possessions and giving up only 95. Um, obviously, that's going to come down when they play someone good. But it's hard for me to, at this point, say that I would be surprised if they were in the NBA Finals. It wouldn't surprise me at all. No. And whether or not they could beat like the Suns, I'm not sure. But if you're like Suns 76ers as the NBA Finals, I mean, I was on, uh, I, I was doing a hit for Vsing and like they they gave me like the 20 seconds left thing and they're like, give us your pick for the NBA Finals, and I hadn't even really thought about it, and I was just like, uh, Suns 76ers, I guess, because to me, I think they do have a chance to be that dominant, um, as a duo. Yeah, and I with the Sixers, I don't even think there are caveats anymore, like. Pre-Harden, I would have had to say like, well, yeah, you know, they're going to need, you know, they, they would have needed one of Harden, Kyrie, or, or Durant to get injured for the Nets, or maybe they need some, you know, Giannis to tweak his knee for the Bucks. Like, I, I feel like when they're at their best, they're right on that same level with when Milwaukee is at its best and what this version of the Nets will be at their best. And, you know, I mean, Miami's going to be right there. We'll see about Chicago. But, I, I mean, I think any, any of Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Miami, and Philly – against Phoenix or against Golden State, if those teams are at full strength, I, I think that would be a fantastic finals. I mean, based on talent, Philly should win that series against the Suns, I would say. Just like pure, so. who has the two best players or the three best players uh, or something like that. So, yeah, man, uh, this Philly team is scary. Uh, any team in the league, I think I think, I think, think at this point, we are call, uh, kind of all on notice about how dominant this could end up being. Chicago Bulls, 39-23, and 23, a half game ahead of the 76ers. They are in second place, one and a half back of Miami in the Eastern Conference. Where do we come in on the Bulls? Um, another team that when you look at the last month or so, um, possibly it implies that, like the Cavs, you know, they, they may have hit their peak uh, around mid-January, but that's also when you know they lost two of their three best defenders, the third of whom they lost on opening night in Patrick Williams. So even though it does feel like you know, there's a lot of people that kind of see this Bulls team as somewhat of a paper tiger, despite the fact that they've been, you know, near the top of the East all season. They they are one of the, like the Cavs, 
like, yeah, you're, you're, you're going to get Rondo back. You're going to get Levert back, but those guys have only missed a few games. Like the bulls have that, that thing in their back pocket of we're getting Lonzo ball back. We're getting Alex Caruso back. And hopefully we're getting Patrick Williams back. And, and if all three of those guys are back and healthy for the playoffs, that, that at least makes me think twice about, you know, potentially considering them a, a you know, a title team. Yeah. To me, that's, that's the encouraging part is they're, you know, for, and for a while they were missing Levine. So for a while they were yep. just running out basically DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic, and they were raggling off wins, uh, like a, a better than 50% clip. And so, yeah, you start adding those, especially the good defenders back into the mix, which is their issue. And I think you, I, again, you have to respect them. I don't think this is a fluke. I think they are this good. They're well coached. They like playing together. Um, and I think conceptually it all works. I, I, it's hard for me to like say a bad thing or something I'm worried about for the bulls besides, you know, their defense as a whole. I'm almost just worried about how many other good teams there are in the East. Like it, well, it yeah. almost feels like they, like they made this run at the wrong time. Like if you could transport this team back to 2017, like they, they would, it would be them versus the LeBron Jordan Clarkson Cavs in the East finals. <laughs> and, and this bulls team probably beats that Cavs team. You know, even if you threw them, even if you threw them in this year's Western conference, you know, I mean, they're very, they would be very much in that same tier, maybe just below Phoenix, but not too far behind. No, why not? I mean, in, in theory, they have more talent than the the Grizzlies do. Although right. there are other uh, plenty of other teams in theory have more talent than the Grizzlies do. But um, yeah. your your point your point stands. All right, we finish out now with the Miami Heat, forty one and twenty two, one and a half game lead over Chicago in the Eastern Conference. Uh, number one thing that comes, excuse me, comes to mind. Uh, for me right now with the heat is we are now back to Kyle Lowry missing who knows how many games due to a personal matter. Uh, he missed a stretch of, what was it eight or nine games, uh, nine games to end January. And he'll miss his third straight game uh, when they play uh, later tonight against Brooklyn. We don't know going to go on. We still have no idea uh, what's going on here. Um, normally by now, like once a guy misses 10 plus games, there's at least some sort of, you know, leakage as to what's going on. I have no idea. Maybe you've heard something, no. uh, but you know, that's a major concern, obviously, you know, if, if Kyle Lowry is, um, you know, kind of in and out or whatever's going on with him, if that continues in the playoffs, um, certainly something to monitor, but man, Miami, when, when they are, when everybody's clicking and everybody's playing and we should mention, you know, they were without Lowry last night when they lost that game against Miami. I, I don't know that like there are teams that have better top end talent. I don't know that there's a, there are any other teams that have a better one through 10. And, and like you mentioned with Boston, you know, not every team, most teams, in fact, are not playing 10 plus guys in a playoff rotation. But I mean, the Heat are one of those few teams that can withstand injuries. You know, they can withstand slumps because they just have so many guys seemingly at every position that you feel pretty good about. I don't know if I go as deep as one through 10 for them. I like they're like one through six. I think they have a great one through six. The one thing I'm worried about them, honestly, is their depth. Like after. Really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, Duncan Robinson is just not like he's just not playing very well. You have like, do you, I, are you trusting Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin, PJ Tucker, Marquis Morris? Those guys have all played like major minutes this year, and like they've they've been a big reason why they're number one in the East. With Bam, you know, missing two months, Butler missed a bunch of time, Lowry's missed a bunch of time. Like, I, I think it speaks to you know, just like they're all plug and play. It's like no, like do you do you want Gabe Vincent starting at shooting guard in the East Finals? Absolutely not. I do not. Uh, but I don't know. I, tr I trust that guy as much as I trust Pat Connaughton at this point. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're shooting well from three for the most part. 
I yeah, at some point, like these uh I for lack of a better term, like these no name guys, like it, no casual yeah. fan is like pulling out Max Struess. Like at some point, yeah. those guys become reliable players. Um, <laughs> or they don't, but um, like I, I just I'm not there yet with them. Uh, but again, if you're in a playoff series, all you need is like really all you need is seven guys. So whoever's end up playing well, yeah, I think you know, they're their top six and PJ Tucker, it's it's a good combination. Um you definitely don't want to face them, especially on defense, because they are extremely physical on defense. Um, and they just play hard, they're well coached. It's it's the whole thing with them. They're one of the few teams to me that plays the regular season like it's the playoffs. Yeah. You know, I mean, they they grind you out. They're 29th in pace on the year. They're top seven in both offense and defense. Uh, they do lead the league in three-point percentage, by the way. So you mentioned a lot of those guys are, are having like career shooting years. That definitely is borne out in the numbers. And that's actually crazy that they're leading the league with, you know, Jimmy Butler, who gives you nothing, you know, shoots like 25% when he does shoot it. And Duncan Robinson having easily the worst year of his career. So I don't know, maybe there's some sort of luck component to, to how many threes, you know, guys like Struess and Martin and, and Vincent and even PJ Tucker, you know, reigning from the corner again this year. Uh, maybe that regresses at some point, but yeah, they're, they're just that I, they're a team that I think nobody wants to play. And, and obviously Milwaukee got over that kind of mental hurdle of, of what the heat did to them two years ago. But I, I, I mean, Milwaukee would never say this. I don't think they want to go through them again. If they could avoid the heat, they would happily do that. I agree. Um, but yeah, I mean, last year they just, it was brutal what they did to the heat. And uh, that was, it felt great as a Bucs fan. And even last night, Jimmy Butler had like a really, really bad game. Didn't score in the last 37 minutes. Yeah. Now, if you're only winning by one, when Jimmy Butler goes two for 14 and there's no Kyle Lowry, that's not a great sign. It's a bad sign. But, um, you know, the Bucs, I hate, you know, if you're a Bucs fan, is the, is the Heat the team you hate the most? Like, I. Like That's every time, like the I, heater on the schedule, you're like, oh, come on, like the heat. It's funny like, how I, that stuff rotates so quickly. I, I don't know. I mean, it, there's not that many team to team rivalries in the NBA anymore. It's, it's almost like there are certain, there are certain players that fans dislike, but yeah, I think it has to be the heat. I, I think a lot of people took issue with how the heat handled that bubble series, you know, and like, not only did they beat the Bucks, but they like pounded them into the ground and you know, and I think they let, let everybody know and let the Bucks know that they were the better team. Um, well, so yeah, I think by default, it would be the Heat. Like, who else is even on the list? Uh, I mean, to some extent, like Brooklyn, just because you hate to deal with Durant. Like, there are some teams yeah. that's like, yeah, you don't want to see Embiid and Hart. Like, you, there are some teams you don't necessarily want to see, but I feel like the history now with the Heat over the yeah. past few playoffs is just really deep. Plus, Giannis has struggled against them. And in Giannis's entire career, the Heat are the only team that he's under 50% from the field against. It's the only wow. team in the NBA he shot less than 50% from the field against is the Heat. So um, he struggled, and I think Bucks fans like kind of feel that when Giannis plays, and it's just like you just hate watching it. Okay, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here, and we'll finish out with this. It, what is the number one rivalry in the NBA right now? Is there an uh, obvious one that I'm, that I'm missing? I, Lakers-Pels? It, it might still be like... Hawks Knicks. Uh, it might still be like LeBron versus Steph. If we're doing that, yeah. like not not teams, but players. Like I still think there's that sort of animosity between LeBron yeah. and Steph. Yeah, um, I will say it, Bucks Bulls. It's not the best rivalry in the league, but I, I think the Bulls still get some juice when they come to Milwaukee. 
Well, a lot of Bulls fans come to the uh, Milwaukee, and so right. like if you ever go to a Bulls Bucks game in Milwaukee, it's the whole time it's loud because everyone's cheering all the time because it's like twenty five percent Bulls fans. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean Boston, LA doesn't have like that much juice anymore, and that was always kind of weird because they're not in the same conference, so it like it didn't. I feel like hell it didn't hold as much weight. That felt um, like it was being forced upon us by people who are twenty years older than you and I. Yes. I mean, the entire, you know, the Celtics entire division, I think I sometimes I think about uh, the the gauntlet that that division has become uh, to some extent. It's like you have the 76ers now, the Celtics, obviously the Raptors who are really well coached and just like won't go away. The Nets you're dealing with and like, yeah, the Knicks are this year bad, but last year were good. And it's like that is just a tough division. Like, yeah, you know, because Ken, uh Ken is always like, anytime you bring up one of those teams, he's like, oh, that team. And I'm like, hey, they see these like really good teams all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there's also so much variance year to year now and roster turnover that, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to have, uh, you know, like, like two teams in the, in the same division for like, for both of them to win like 50 plus games for four straight years. Right. Just like doesn't happen. You know, like you can, you could say like, yeah, six or Celtics is a rivalry, but two years ago, the Sixers roster was completely different and the Celtics roster was completely different. So like you have these, you have these like playoff series that feel like they're going to turn into a rivalry. And then the next year, half the guys that were involved in that series are no longer involved. Right. Well, right now it is the only division where there are four teams over 500. Yeah. So yeah. And the, the lone outlier of course, being the New York Knicks. (laughs) Being the Knicks. Yeah. So what's the final answer then? Is there really no rivalry? you know, team to team, not, not just involving LeBron or Steph or, or individual players. Um, yeah. If we're, if we're taking like individual player rivalry out of it, I don't know. I I can't, I can't really think of one right now. I mean, I I think Houston golden state felt like a good one for a while, but as soon as Houston, you know, shipped out James Harden, that, that instantly ended. It's like, I I don't think Christian Wood has any bad blood with the Warriors. I, I always associate like, I feel like the equivalent of like Milwaukee, Miami in the West is like Denver, Portland for some reason. Like I always associate those teams with yeah. just like hating each other and like having, they play each other in the playoffs so much. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't, that's not like a rivalry. No, I, I mean, I, this is kind of a weird answer, but it, it might be Sixers nets, despite the fact that they haven't even played each other with their current rosters. Right. Like, I, I think I'd pick, like that's, if I could pick, if someone said like, Hey, it's Friday night, you have nothing going on there's going to be a big NBA game to sit down and watch. Which two teams do you want to see? I think healthy Sixers versus healthy Nets is what I would say. Yeah. Cause that has juice to it now. It's like, yes, right. there are superstars involved, but also it's the Harden versus Simmons thing. And it's in the yeah. same division and the fans, especially in Philly are maniacal. So ideally it's yes. Nets Sixers in Philly is about as must watch kind of rivalry status as it gets at this point. Yeah, and we're getting that a week from now, but uh, right. I, I don't think it's going yeah. to be at, at full strength, unfortunately. All right, man, we'll hop out of here. You'll be back tomorrow. Uh, I heard rumblings that Ken is going to be traveling, and is he going to be able to do the pod tomorrow? He'll be he'll be on the pod, but it will not Ooh. be in person, yeah. which is uh, which is ideally what we would have wanted. But yeah, uh, it'll be its usual usual status.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.